In 2003, U.S. President George W. Bush announced the creation of the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, to address the global HIV-AIDS crisis. Since then, PEPFAR-supported programs have provided antiretroviral therapy to approximately 20 million people, saved 25 million lives, and enabled several countries to achieve UN AIDS treatment targets. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with John Nashega, an Associate Professor of Infectious Diseases and Microbiology and of Epidemiology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Public Health and a Professor of Medicine at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Dr. Nashega has co-authored a perspective article about PEPFAR's achievements and remaining challenges related to HIV prevention and treatment, particularly in Sub-Saharan Africa. Dr. Nashega, what was the impetus for PEPFAR's launch in 2003? Before 2003, HIV-AIDS in a resource-limited setting was a death sentence. While many people, mostly in Sub-Saharan Africa, were beginning to learn their status and subsequently prepare for divorce, only about 50,000 people living with HIV in Africa were receiving antiretroviral treatment. So U.S. assistance to fight global HIV-AIDS at the time was really scattered among various U.S. agencies, and there was really a need for a U.S. administration effort to have a coordination across agency. And so the humanitarian urgency at that time and the need for coordination did call for PEPFAR in 2003. And then what types of programs does PEPFAR support? How are the funds used at the country level, the community level? The program that PEPFAR supported started originally as H treatment using those life-saving retroviral treatment. Obviously, over time, the service expanded from HIV treatment. It moved to HIV testing and prevention. It moved so to health system strengthening, but also on uh, supporting uh, socioeconomic support. So it's really, to date, it's been really broad services across most of resource-limited settings. And then what have been the implications of PEPFAR support for African investigators and institutions? How has it affected research priorities or research capacity? On investigator was just tremendous, leveraging from decade-long effort to support medical training research in the resource-limited setting and building on NIH Fogarty effort. So PEPFAR created the Medical Education Partnership Initiative and the Nursing Educational Partnership Initiative, which basically aim to strengthen medical education and research on the continent. And those efforts basically were really transformational in the sense that they assisted trained physicians to tackle HIV, AIDS, and nurses. At the same time, They provided curriculum, revision, clinical and research mentorship, introduction of new learning technology, and the provision of funding directly to the African institution and investigator was a game changer in the way that increased responsibility, engagement, and high-impact productivity in terms of publication, collaboration, and also North-South and also intra-African staff collaboration, which obviously led to prioritizing research agenda designed by African investigator. You say in your perspective article that despite PEPFAR's successes, challenges associated with addressing HIV-AIDS in Africa remain. 
So what are the biggest gaps in access to HIV prevention and treatment services? The challenges I think one would like to highlight really in area of HIV prevention and treatment, including the issue about discrimination, about sexual minority and the key population. So there are persistent gaps in accessing HIV services among men who have sex with men, transgender people and sex workers. And another big challenge is new HIV infections are still highest among adolescent girls and young women 15 to 24 years of age, which is basically three times higher than among adolescent boys and young men. Also, there is an increased risk of HIV infection among migratory refugees and internally displaced population. But I will not leave behind the fact that also in Africa, which is still home of 90% of global population of children with HIV, there is heterogeneity in terms of our treatment coverage during pregnancy and in mother-to-child transmission in West and Central Africa versus East and Southern Africa. And there's still a really suboptimal HIV testing and treatment coverage and viral load suppression among children as compared with adults. So this is worse also in West and Central Africa compared to East and Southern Africa. I think those are moving forward. Those are really some of the key remaining challenges that we're trying to address. Finally, you say in your article that PEPFAR's positive effects can be sustained only with country-level ownership, including participation by governments, communities, faith-based organizations, the private sector, and other stakeholders. So why is governance at the country level so important, and what's going to be necessary for that goal to be realized? Thank you for that question. This is so critical in terms of sustainability and sense of ownership. Uh, And I think uh, moving toward country-level ownership with responsible transfer of program oversight and management to government and non-government organization, it's really critical as we move to the next phase of PEPFAR. So this can only happen if we fast-track country-level management, leadership, ownership, using specific metric and milestone, at the same time, some training for that to happen. So this is a work in progress, and PEPFAR is aware of this, and they are working on it. But I think this will be something to look at as we move forward. Thank you, Dr. Neshega.